episode 104 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on May 31st, 2020. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. Update 611 released in April. It's now June, which means it's summer in many parts of the world. But what about the Old Republic? I'll tell you what's in store for the summer of SWOTOR 2020. We know that in Star Wars, the Old Republic, that Darths are a dime a dozen. That doesn't mean one doesn't come along that grabs our attention. This week I'll explore the mystery of Darth Rivix. It's the greatest Star Wars movie ever made, and it just turned 40. I'll share some thoughts and memories of The Empire Strikes Back. And with that, it's time to make the jump to light speed. And cue the moron. Welcome to episode 104 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. If you live on planet Earth, and I know that you do, there's just no escaping this horrendous pandemic known as the coronavirus. It's affecting all facets of life, none worse than the lives it's taking and the havoc it's wrecking on worldwide economies. The virus is everywhere and is disrupting everything, including our beloved Star Wars The Old Republic. Luckily for us, Bioware has been able to adjust, and there will be a summer of Swotor 2020. Bioware Studios in Austin, Texas is open for business, however all of its employees are working from home. As you can imagine, this hasn't been an easy adjustment, and as such, their release schedule is kind of in flux. Originally, we were supposed to get Game Update 611, followed by 62. 611 was released on April 21st, but not with all of the planned features. Master Mode Duxon was delayed because, according to Charles Boyd, Based on our testing on PTS, we believe that holding this portion of the content back for further iteration and improvement will lead to a higher quality experience for all of you to enjoy a bit later in Update 612. Charles mentioned Game Update 612, which wasn't supposed to exist at all. After 611, we were supposed to go straight to 62, which was going to conclude the Kira Scourge Satil storyline that we saw at the end of Onslaught. This is now delayed because, again, according to Charles Boyd, the dialogue has not yet been recorded for that storyline, so we will have to wait to release it until recording operations are back in full swing. Rest assured, getting that story out is our top priority, so as soon as we can get it back on the schedule, we will. Based on our current information, our very tentative release target for that is late summer, early fall. That patch will become the new 6-2. So no new story for a while, but we will continue to get new content in Game Update 612. I already mentioned that Master Mode Duxon will be there, and there will also be a new in-game event that will be part of the rotating schedule of events alongside Dontuing, The Gree, Rackgulls, and so on. It will be a multi-planet event called the All Worlds Ultimate Swoop Rally. The event is currently on the PTS. I have had a chance to check it out, and I'll talk more about it in a minute. Also in 612 is the Nightlife event with new rewards and missions. 
This too is on the PTS. Combine all of that with a double XP event that runs through the middle of June, and you have your Summer of SWOTOR 2020. We'll just have to wait a while longer to find out what our nemesis Valkorion has planned for his final act. I don't know when Game Update 612 is going to launch, but if you want to get a sneak peek of what's coming, head over to the PTS and start your engines because the All Worlds Ultimate Swoop Rally is in full swing. It's a work in progress, albeit a very good work in progress, but a work in progress nonetheless. I'm going to temper my review by saying the event is probably going to change and will likely be a lot better when it does go live. It's a little rough around the edges right now. So what is the All Worlds Ultimate Swoop Rally? Whether you have the need for speed, the need to preen, or like to blow stuff up, the All Worlds Swoop Rally has got you covered. This is a new recurring event that takes place on Dantooine, Tatooine, and Onderon. The event starts on Dantooine where you'll meet Zella, veteran swoop biker, now retired, who will give you the lowdown on what swoop racing is all about. Welcome to the All Worlds Ultimate Swoop Rally. What can I do for you, friend? Folks call me Zella. Former swoop rider. Retired now. Couldn't stay away long, though. Felt like I was missing out on all the excitement. So I've been taking new riders under my wing. Teaching them the ropes. Introducing them to the best crews on the circuit. This is the biggest swoop rally someone as old as me can remember. And it's going to be one we'll never forget. Only thing I can tell you to expect is the unexpected. These folks are always outdoing themselves. You never know what they're gonna think up next. A new trick off the ramp? A record track time? Even I still get surprised. Look, if you've still got doubts, why don't you have a chat with some of the crews? No one around here is gonna turn away a potential new fan. <laughs> that sounded like a good one! Walk it off, Diva! Walk it off! After talking to Zella, you'll meet the heads of the three swoop bike gangs. There's the blatant Becks, who are all about blowing stuff up, the Horizons Razors, who are only interested in completing the course as fast as possible, and the Pit Screamers, who just want to dazzle the crowd by performing incredible stunts. After talking to each gang, they'll invite you to join and race on their behalf, because if you've attended the Daytona 500 or Le Mans, if you're into Formula One, you know that's how things work. To start racing, you'll need to pick up some missions from nearby terminals. There's a daily to run one of each race, and there's a weekly to complete six races. All of these can be done in a single day. You can only choose one daily mission at a time. Once you have your mission, you then hop on the appropriate swoop bike and make your way to the starting line to begin the race. This will change your UI, and you'll see some new abilities on your action bar. All the bikes have a speed boost and a brake. I didn't see much use for the brake. And then depending on the type of race you're running, you'll have one or two abilities specific to that bike. If you're doing a speed race, you'll have an additional speed boost. If you're racing for the Pit Screamers, you'll have a flare ability. And if you're racing for the Blatant Becks, you'll have an ability to blow stuff up and another ability to set off fireworks near the spectator stands. So yes, there is a small learning curve for each bike and you're going to have to figure it out as you go because once you hop on the swoop, you're practically racing. 
The race isn't on rails, so you do have complete freedom of movement. However, you can't stop the bike once it's in motion. If you decide to leave the course and do a little sightseeing, you'll get a warning and ultimately you'll get dismounted if you continue off course. The courses aren't as enclosed as you think and until I spent some time on each one, I did find myself occasionally getting turned around and unsure if I was coming or going. I found Tatooine's course to be the most confusing, followed by Onderon and then Dantooine. The other challenge is I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do while out on the track. Each race has a mission, but the objectives weren't readily apparent. Luckily, each race was intuitive enough to figure it out quickly. For example, if you're doing a speed race, you'll see little light-up pads on the ground that you should run over, as well as orbs to run through. Run over enough pads and collect enough orbs, and you'll complete the race when you cross the finish line. Fail to do so, and you'll lose the race and will have to run it again. The speed race and the stunt race, which involved driving through hoops, and jumping off ramps and activating a flare ability as you pass by the grandstands were easy to complete on the first try. I found racing for the blatant becks where you had to blow up piles of stuff on the side of the track and ignite fireworks near the stands to be the most challenging. This was in part because I had to locate the items to blow up and then place a targeting reticle over them, all while trying to drive and stay on the track. After a couple tries, I began to remember where things were and recognize them more easily, and this race became as easy as the others. Since the event is still being developed, I don't know what any of the rewards are. Each swoop gang has its own reputation and presumably its own set of rewards. I would expect to be able to purchase each of their swoop bikes and racing uniforms, but we'll have to wait and see. I also don't know if there are any hidden achievements for, say, completing a race in a certain amount of time or blowing up a large number of explosives in a single run, things that go beyond what are in the mission objectives. One thing to note is that you're not racing against other players, however, more than one player can be on the track at the same time. I don't know if items such as the speed orbs or explosive piles are shared, meaning more than one person can get the same orb or blow up the same pile. I'm hoping that's the case, though. The Swoop Rally will be an occurring event, which means it won't be available all of the time, which I think is fine. I enjoyed it, but I don't know that I would need to do it every day or even every week. I also like that it's something different. It's not another daily area that involves killing and collecting and a world boss and so on. While I do like those, I'm encouraged that the team is trying to do new and different things with this game. Swoop Rally is available for testing on the PTS. You really should take a few minutes and give it a look. And when you're done racing, you can gather up your winnings and head to Narshada's famous casinos and blow it all on the nightlife event. summer Swotor would be complete without the Narshada nightlife event. You know, that thing where you dump all of your hard-earned credits into mindless slot machines and not win. Meanwhile, it feels like everybody else is hitting the jackpot with their first spin of the wheel. Not to mention those annoying folks that play four machines at once. Hey, you're not the only ones here, pal. This year's event looks to be a combination of something old, something new, and something new-ish. 
Now you know the same old, play the smuggler's machines to earn kingpin chips, which you then use to play the kingpin machines on the hopes that you hit the jackpot. Well, this year there's a new type of machine called the Emperor's Grace. I don't know everything you can win from it. I've only managed to get one Emperor's Coin to play. You can win them from the Kingpin machines, but it's a rare find. You can also get them from a new mission that was bugged for me. The one spin I did have rewarded me with 50 Kingpin chips. Now, this is all speculation on my part, but first, the win rate on the Kingpin slot machines feels like it's been increased. You are now more likely to get your chip back, win a golden certificate, or a cartel market certificate. Jackpots like the Companions and Mount still seem somewhat low, and as I said, getting an Emperor's chip seems abysmally low. I'm guessing the Emperor's machines will reward a new jackpot item, and I believe that jackpot is a new droid companion, the C1-4W, aka Claw. It's a power droid with a see-through interior, and that interior looks like one of those arcade claw machines. Pretty cool. Again, none of this is confirmed, just an educated guess on my part. The Emperor's Grace isn't the only new addition to the event. Our old pal, Pengu, was so impressed with our earlier work that she's got a lot more for us to do. She still wants us to find those cheaters, but she also wants us to be a bouncer and remove unwanted customers from the casino. We'll also have to sing and dance to hawk some cheap goods to unsuspecting patrons. We're also asked to go and shut down a couple of counterfeit rings, one on Nar Shaddaa and one on Mech Shah. That's the mission that rewards the Emperor's chip. So that's the new. I mentioned there were some new-ish items in the form of decorations you can buy with golden certificates. I say newish because they appear to be recolors of the reputation decorations you can get from Onderon. Keep in mind that because this is the PTS, things can change, and these rewards, drop rates, etc. may not be final. Still, if you are betting on skipping the nightlife event this year and saving your credits, I think it's a losing proposition. The nightlife event returns as part of game update 612. As to when that's going to be released, well, that's anyone's bet. Face to face at last. Your hollow does you no justice, my friend. Welcome to Odessan. We're honored by your visit. And I am honored to be your guest. Permit me to be direct. My duty as liaison is to facilitate your operations as best I can. My success is judged by your success. I will not profit from obstructing or undermining you. Much as I savor them, Deception and manipulation are not among my objectives here. I will relate my Empress's desires to you and your accomplishments to her. Anything you require of the Empire's resources, I will obtain. I shall be your ally, your spokesman, and I hope your confidant. You have my vow on it. I hope you can live up to your word. I don't take disappointment well. Nor should you. The best deserves the best. Now, 
If I may impose upon you a bit more before we delve into official matters, I would love a tour of your base. The stories I've heard? Of course. I'll show you around myself. Wonderful. Lead the way. That was our introduction to Darth Rivix, the new Imperial liaison introduced in Onslaught. Now, if you felt like every word that Darth Rivix spoke was a siren's call to do his bidding, you may be on to something. You see, Darth Rivix is an alien, which of course is still unusual amongst the Sith. Exactly what type of alien, though, is unclear. He looks remarkably human with a deep red skin. He's definitely not a Sith pureblood, nor does he appear to be a Zabrak. He looks more like a red-skinned Chiss than either of those two. This has led to a lot of speculation as to what species Darth Rivix is. Some have theorized that he's a crossbreed between a human and a Sith pureblood. Others have wondered if he's a Zabrak without the horns or tattoos. My own theory is that he's a human who fell asleep at the beach on a hot summer's day. Hey, we've all done that, right? The leading and perhaps most likely theory is that Darth Rivix is a Zeltron. Now, if you're not familiar with the Zeltron, fear not, I'm about to explain. Zeltron were introduced in Marvel Comics Star Wars series back in 1983. According to Wikipedia, Zeltrons were a humanoid sentient species whose skin varied in shades of red. Zeltrons gave off pheromones that made people like them and had a calming effect. So, Zeltrons have been around for a long time, and they're not exactly strangers to the Old Republic either. Luxa was a female Zeltron who appeared in Knights of the Old Republic 2. And in our very own Star Wars The Old Republic, the Zeltron Personal Aroma Set is a romance gift that you can give to your companions. The most compelling argument that Rivix is a Zeltron, though, comes from a conversation held between the Imperial Agent and Vector Hillis. Have a listen. We are glad you could join us. This Darth Rivix is an intriguing individual. We witnessed his work for the Imperial Diplomatic Service once. Tell me about him. It was a meeting with Hutt Cartel representatives many years ago, before we first heard the Song of Our Nest. We sought arrangements for the use of hyperroots in Hutt's space, routes they were resistant to share until Rivix arrived. He had sway over the negotiator almost immediately. Not in the way Sith sometimes force their will on others. Such tricks do not work on hearts. This was different somehow. We felt it also, though we spoke with him only briefly and couldn't recognize the effect until hours later. Did you feel it? Possibly. I did feel intrigued by him, though I couldn't put my finger on exactly why. It was the same for us. Perhaps there is no deeper mystery, but we cannot shake the feeling of something more. In any case, we wished to make you aware of these facts, so that you are prepared for future encounters. Thank you, Vector. I'll be sure to watch for anything strange the next time I meet with him. We are pleased to have helped, but still stay a while. The Nest tells us many things you may find interesting. BioWare has been absolutely mum on this topic, which means there is more to come on the mysterious Darth Rivix and just who or what he is. Zeltron is the leading favorite, but until we hear otherwise, I'm sticking with Human, who fell asleep at the beach. 
Keep in mind, I have been known to make mistakes from time to time. is arguably the most famous scene in the entire Star Wars saga and perhaps its biggest moment. In fact, it's a scene that stands out in cinematic history as well. This year marks the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. I don't know what's worse, the fact that 40 years have gone by in a flash or that I'm 10 years older than The Empire Strikes Back. I'd complain more, but until we find the fountain of youth, the alternative to not getting older is, well becoming one with the Force, so let's talk Empire. There was a lot of pressure on this film to succeed, after all, Star Wars captured lightning in a bottle, and the film captivated the world as it transported us to a galaxy far, far away with its simple story, quirky characters, and dazzling special effects. Technically, Empire delivered. The effects were better, the battles were bigger, and the lightsaber duels moved beyond two dudes banging sticks to a well-choreographed dance. The soundtrack was better too. Empire's score had some of the most recognized music in the entire saga. A person could spend hours debating which is more iconic, the main theme or the Imperial March. I'd say it's kind of a wash myself. Empire also had some of the saga's most quotable lines, like everything Yoda said, and of course this. I love you. I know. The Empire Strikes Back was a bold film. What made Star Wars great, and by Star Wars I mean A New Hope, was its simple story of good versus evil and good triumphing over evil. In Empire, the bad guys won. Not completely, but at the end of the film, Han was a frozen block of carbonite, Luke was missing a lightsaber and a hand, and more importantly, he was dealt a psychological blow when Darth Vader told him he was his father. Was this true? If so, why did Ben and Yoda hide this, and what to do now? It wasn't just Luke who wanted answers. If you were around during the summer of 1980, you might remember that the two biggest pop culture questions of the day were, who shot J.R.? Of course, I'm talking about the hit show Dallas there. And is Darth Vader really Luke's father? The answer to those questions are J.R.'s scheming sister-in-law, Kristen Shepard, and yes, Darth Vader was Luke's father, although we had to wait three years to get the answer to that second question. Darth Vader telling Luke he's his father was such a big moment because nobody saw it coming. And therein lies another triumph of Empire, 
The term spoiler wasn't part of our vernacular back then, but if you were to look up the word in an urban dictionary, you'd see a picture of Darth Vader saying, I am your father, as the prime example of what not to tell someone who hasn't seen the film. Where Empire truly shined, though, was in its character development. Everybody grew and had more depth. I'll never forget Chewbacca's emotion when the search for Han and Luke needed to be suspended. There was the blossoming romance between Han Solo and Princess Leia. And then there was the spontaneous heroics of R2-D2. R2, come back at once. You haven't finished with me yet. You don't know how to fix the hyperdrive. Chewbacca can do it. I'm standing here in pieces and you're having to lose the grandeur. You did it! I've mentioned this before, but I'll never forget the audience erupting in applause after that moment. Not only did Empire give depth to its characters, it offered the first deep dive into the mythology of Star Wars. Yes, we heard about the Force and the Jedi in A New Hope, but that felt more like a history lesson. Empire showed us how the Force worked and what it took to become a Jedi and the perils and risks of making that journey. The film offers one of my favorite lessons of all time. Alright, I'll give it a try. No! Try not! Do! Or do not! There is no try. This goes to the heart of what it takes to become a Jedi. It's not about success or failure, it's about commitment. Do or do not. You're in or you're out. The Empire Strikes Back will always be my favorite Star Wars film, and that's because like most things Star Wars, there is a personal element to it that transcends story and special effects. For me, it's the memory of seeing it with my best friend Joey, goes by Joe these days. He and I loved Star Wars, we collected the action figures, read the comics, and would often make up stories to play out in our backyards. After all, we were kids. We even did a recording of the Marvel Comics version of A New Hope, my earliest attempts at podcasting, I guess. We also collected the Topps trading cards. There was a local grocery store that we'd walk to and purchase packs of cards with our allowance. We'd then grab our collections, open up our packs, and begin the trading. It was a pretty straightforward process. You separate your singles from your doubles and then hope that the other guy had doubles of cards you didn't have and vice versa. Occasionally, you could give up a single to get multiple cards you didn't have in return. Now, we often talk about our hatred of random rewards in Star Wars The Old Republic, and those Topps trading card packs were the epitome of random. The more you collected, the harder it was to get a card you didn't already have. Which brings me to a hot July day, circa 1980 or 81. We were collecting the first series of Empire Strikes Back cards, and I was down to needing just one card to complete the set. As Joey was flipping through his collection, I spotted it. Card number 13, Planet of Ice. A picture of Luke Skywalker astride his trusty Tauntaun. Not only did he have it, but he only had one of it. So he'd be giving up a single. And because I would be was completing my collection, he was losing a trading partner for that series. Thankfully, it did not require aggressive negotiations. I don't know if he relented because we were such good friends or if my mom interfered because she got tired of hearing us squabble, but he did trade me that card. Pretty sure it cost me every double that I had, including doubles of doubles. And I think I had to loan him my copy of Adventure for the Atari 2600 for like two weeks. 
The Empire Strikes Back was a big part of my childhood and probably shaped me in more ways than I can imagine. In fact, about five years ago, I learned something about that film that threatened to destroy everything that I thought was true in this world. You see, it turns out that Han Solo's Hoth Parka is brown. Let me repeat that. It's not blue like I've been led to believe my entire life. It's brown. Yup, it's brown. It's confirmed. There's no debate. And I do not accept it. Not one bit. For me, it will always be blue. And to be fair, even back in the day when the film came out, everyone thought it was blue. Look at the Marvel Comics. Blue. Look at the Kenner action figure. Blue. I don't care what anyone says. That coat will always be blue to me. If I'm ever asked, I'll answer that it's blue in that tortured Jean-Luc Picard sort of way. Tell me how many lights you see. There are four lights! Final note for today, I meant to do this last episode, but I wanted to thank a few people out there who I know listen to the show. First are Albert and Mike from the Cantina cast. Albert reached out to me in March to see if I was still alive. I responded about a month later. I know I'm so bad at this keeping in touch stuff. I've yet to meet Albert, but I did meet Mike back in 2015 at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim, back when the Star Wars movie machine was just starting up. Got to be on their podcast a couple of times during that event and since. Great show and great guys. Thanks to them and to all of you who listen to this podcast. Be safe out there. And that's the State of the Old Republic for today. Let me cut on the sublight engines and cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 104 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. Also listen to the show directly from the show site, which is SOTORpodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe to the podcast directly. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SOTORpodcast at gmail.com. It only takes me about a month to get back to you. You can also tweet your questions to at SOTORpodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 105 soon-ish. Until then, remember that Sith code, Cake is a lie.